Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. I was chatting with some friends the other day and the topic of raising non-binary kids came up. These parents had been told by their kids in different ways that they wanted to explore their gender. They wanted to change their pronouns to they and them. As a parent who doesn't want either of my children to be defined by their gender, I still find this concept challenging. I find it challenging because I wouldn't know how to manage their exploration. What if it proved painful and confusing for them? How would I guide them when I have no understanding or experience of the non-binary world? Dr. Kyle Myers is a sociologist with a background in gender studies. She's the author of Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting. It's a memoir of the first three years she and her partner Brent raised their child Zuma without gender. Hi, Kyle. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's start at the very beginning. Why did you decide to focus on gender studies as a sociologist? Mm, That's a very good question. I had no idea about gender studies or even feminism for most of my life. I was raised in a really conservative religious culture that loved the binary and loved gender roles. And so it just really wasn't on my radar until my early 20s. And then I went to university and started taking classes and switching my major a lot because I just couldn't find something as a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old that was really getting me excited about a career for the rest of my life. But then (laughs) I found gender studies. And at first, I was like, what is this? What do you mean? You know, what do you mean gender studies? And so after looking more into it, it just seemed like the perfect fit because I'm a very social justice oriented person. And I think I had been bitten by that feminism bug around the age of 21, right? Where the wool gets pulled off from your eyes and you realize that there's a lot of injustice going on. And so it was just a really good fit for me as a young person. And as I started taking the classes, there's so much to gender studies because it's very interdisciplinary. You are learning from history professors and psychology professors and sociology professors and political scientists and English. So it's just this really beautiful cornucopia of angles of learning about gender. And so it just, I loved it. I just fell in love with it. And so that's really where it started for me was in my early 20s. And the ball just kept rolling. And then I wanted to be one of those professors that, you know, changed young people's lives. And so I went to graduate school and sociology was the best fit for me because there's not really like a PhD in gender studies, for the most part, you kind of find your other discipline that you dive deeper into. And so sociology made a lot of sense for me. So what is gender creative parenting? So gender creative parenting is a parenting practice and philosophy and movement, really, where grown-ups want to give autonomy to children in how they learn about gender and play with gender and get to their own identity in a way that they want to express themselves and the words and labels that they're going to choose. And so as gender creative parents, we recognize that a child may be intersex or non-binary or transgender, or they may be cisgender, and we can define those terms. And we just want to be able to 
create a soft landing for our kids to be whoever they're going to be and then support them in that and, you know, enthusiastically celebrate their identity. And we also want to protect our kids from experiencing sexism because gender stereotypes and that oppression that people face based on their gender starts in infancy, if not in utero. And so by doing gender creative parenting, by not disclosing a child's genitals to people who don't need to know, by using gender neutral pronouns like they, them, and their, and really opening up the world to kids beyond half of the options, that is a way that we parents feel like we can dismantle the gender binary. So gender creative parenting is, is dare I say it, in its infancy. It's just started. It's, it's a movement that is relatively new. And you yourself and your partner, Brent, have started at the beginning, meaning that Zuma hasn't been taught to be to identify as male or female. He hasn't grown up in the stereotypes that many of our kids have grown up in. Can exploring your gender identity be hard for kids who have been raised with the stereotypes that currently exist and then they discover at five, six, seven, eight, upwards of, that they want to explore it? Can can that be a, a tricky journey for them? So I think gender is a tricky journey for everybody, whether you're raised gender creative or not, and whether you're young or older. I think my gender exploration, I kind of opened the Pandora's box in my early 30s. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe I want to explore my gender identity, you know? So it's kind of a journey and we we can start anywhere along the way. But with kids, kids learn about the world so much when they're really tiny. And a lot of the biases that people have, they are actually shaped in early childhood. So we know that children learn racism and sexism and ableism, right? Like they start to learn the biases and the categories really young. And so what gender creative parenting is trying to do is trying to to scatter that, right? And to teach children about gender beyond the binary because so often gender is taught to kids in this really rudimentary way. There's girl bodies and there's boy bodies and that's a girl toy and that's a boy name and that's a haircut for girls. And it's really simplistic and very binary and very relying on stereotypes when in reality, that's not the world, right? There's, There's so much gender diversity and in the human experience, of course, all almost 8 billion of us can't be slotted into two boxes. And so I think where it does get tricky is after children have been raised for five or six years, being told that there's only two genders and that there's specific roles that these genders play and perform, then they're having to try to question that and, and unravel that. And we can do kids the favor from the very beginning problematizing that, right? And making sure that non-binary is in in kids' vocabulary, making sure we're teaching children about bodies in anatomical ways, not gendered ways, by saying, yeah, some people have a penis and some people have a vulva, right? Instead of saying, this is what all boy bodies look like, because that's not what all boy bodies look like. There are transgender and non-binary boys who have vulvas. And by being able to tell your children that from the beginning, they can get it and then they don't have to jump over all of those hurdles when they're five or six or seven and try to unlearn the way they were taught about gender. 
Okay, so what if you haven't done that <laughs> and you your child comes to you and says, I want to use these pronouns, um, I, I'm exploring how I feel about my own gender, what would you say or how would you recommend a cisgender heterosexual parent start from the very beginning being mm-hmm. the guide that their child needs at that time? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question and something that is so important to start considering because this is going to be the reality for a lot of parents, for a lot of parents who just thought that their child would be cisgender and straight because that's the structure that we've grown up in, right? That's the norm. But a lot of youth, a lot of young people, a lot of kids are saying, ah, this isn't for me. And so I think it's wonderful that you're asking this question. And I don't think it is ever too late or too early to start talking about this. And so I don't want anyone to feel like, oh no, I missed the boat. My kid is eight and we're just starting these conversations. So it's okay. My advice would be to to lead with love and affirmation and just loving curiosity, right? There's no panic button here. We're we're fine. And by being able to lean into what your child is telling you and and ask them, you know, really kind and loving questions like, "Can you tell me what that means for you?" and and when when I use these words, does that fit for you? You know, do you want to try on different pronouns and do you want to try on different labels and how can I support you in expressing yourself how you want? Do you want a haircut? Do you want new clothes, right? Are there is there anything that I can do? I think being able to check your discomfort at the door and really trust in your child is it's critical. It's critical for their mental health, for their physical health, for their social well-being, for their academic performance. There's just mountains of evidence that shows that when kids who are transgender or non-binary or gender non-conforming are treated with respect and love and their identities are affirmed, they have incredible outcomes that are similar to cisgender kids, right? Like it's all about how they're treated. So I think putting that data point in your pocket that that youth whose pronouns are respected are 50% less likely to attempt suicide should just be blaring in people's minds, right? That it is just the most important thing that if your kid comes to you and says, can we talk about this? Also being able to kind of swallow that parent pride because as grownups, as parents, right, we feel like it's our duty to know everything and to certainly know more than our kids. But sometimes that's not the case with things, especially our own child's own gender identity. And that we we can be able to put that ball in their court and say, you tell me what you need from me. I am just here to love you and support you and cheer you on however you need. How do parents talk to other parents about what it means to be non-binary? That is, when other parents have questions, is it breaking a child's trust to get into much detail about it? Mm. Well, I think it's one thing to be able to try to answer some questions that are just information gathering questions, right? And then it's another thing if someone's trying to ask really personal questions about a specific child's experience. And kids 
are wonderful, right? And you can ask your child. Some people are having questions about, you know, what's what's going on because they don't totally understand, but they want to learn more because they love you and they want to support you. Do you want me talking to grandma and grandpa about what we're talking about? Or would you like us to kind of keep that between us? And you can tell them in your own way, right? I think being able to give some autonomy and be able to gather some consent from kids about what do you want me to do here? And an example of that is I have a friend who is a who has a transgender daughter and and my friend has become an advocate you know of, as a as a parent of a of a trans kid and she serves on you know boards at children's hospitals and she speaks a lot but her daughter doesn't want to be in the spotlight you know and so her daughter's not shown and and I think that you can be able to do that right parents can help advocate and be an educator while also being able to give their kids some privacy and also there are a lot of young folks who really want to be visible and want to help you know show show people you know some representation and I think we're just going to be, we are already seeing so much more of that, right? With social media and community. And there are so many more studies coming out that are, you know, where non-binary young people get to self-identify in them outside of the binary, which just hadn't historically been done. So we're just going to see this exponential rise in the visibility of non-binary youth. And it's not because it's a fad or a trend or really something new. There's always been non-binary people. We just have a better vocabulary, right? And we just have a better social media network where people can find each other. And so that's really what's happening. There's more acceptance. And so people don't have to be hiding in the shadows they get to be who they want to be and that's a fabulous thing and that is not going anywhere what about when someone is judgmental about appearance or about your child's appearance or identity Uh, for example those in the older generation that can't get their heads around it how can you bring those people onto the same page as you and your family People's discomfort around gender identity and expression that goes beyond stereotypes says so much more about them than it does the the person, right, who is non-binary. And those are tough conversations to have and important conversations to have, especially if the the mental health and well-being of your child is what's at stake, right? That we need to we're not we're not foregoing that to make sure grandma and gramps are comfy here. And so being able to have those conversations is really important and I understand that they can be that it can be difficult. So my approach and advice for people who need to get maybe older family members or family members who don't get it as much on board is really trying to lay out the the evidence that there is of that we need to be making sure that we're rallying around our kid because it's what will protect them and give them the best social and mental health outcomes. And, and do we want a child who is conforming to a gender stereotype or do we want a child who is alive and happy and thriving? Right. The latter. So that's what we're going to work for. You know, that's mm-hmm. what we're going for. And then being able to unpack something that's worked for me is unpacking these 
thoughts, these deeply ingrained biases that people hold around gender. And I have had some marvelous conversations with people around that, you know, who typically are like, I don't get it. I, I'm not here for it. I don't support it. Like, why can't we just, you know, why can't we just all be happy with what God made us as? And I think being able to step back in time and be able to say, let's look at gender across like the eras, you know, and, and a hundred years ago, a woman wasn't able to vote. And now a woman can be a president, you know, a premier, like this is, we've come a really long way and we need to kind of hold some space for the fact that how gender is in our minds is not how it always was and it's not how it's going to be in the future and that we need to have some flexibility with that we need to have some reckoning that the way that maybe younger people want to do gender isn't some like slap in the face to us it is just a progression of something that's always been happening right gender has always been this moving evolving organic nebulous thing that changes over time and over place and over culture and that it's our job right to allow that to happen especially if it is doing no harm if what if what we want right is is for people to be happy and healthy and if doing something beyond the gender binary is what makes them that way then we can we can celebrate that right and 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 recognize that maybe we don't know everything or maybe there's there's room for growth um, now, just before I let you go, I have a few practical tips to ask you, if you have any thoughts on them anyway. How do we talk to schools about our kids being non-binary? So this is something that schools, a good school, would already be thinking about. And I I think the law is on parents' side for being, to, being able to advocate for a non-binary student in a school district. And those those types of policies have repercussions that have positive consequences for kids of all genders, whether they're cisgender or non-binary or transgender, being able to try to foster an environment in a school that is inclusive and equitable really lifts, you know, all boats. And so I think that even if you don't have a non-binary student, you should be advocating for a school to be one that is welcoming and affirming of non-binary students because we'll just see positive outcomes across the board. But then the other evidence that I would show is we just have so much data that shows when when students feel like they are, if students are being misgendered by teachers or fellow students or administration, it's just like death by a thousand cuts, you know, that it's just this constant thing of I'm going to show up. Is someone going to make fun of me? Is somebody going to bully me? Am I going to get harassed? You know, is the teacher going to use the wrong pronoun for me? And it's so distracting that they cannot, they, they cannot learn properly, right? As a, as a student who isn't going through that kind of just daily trauma. And so if the school is a place, right, that cares about academic achievement, then we have to be making sure that we're nurturing the identities of students because when students feel like they are seen for who they really are, then they can focus right on the on the reason that they're there, which is learning math, which is learning how to read, which is, you know, learning these social rules, right, of like growing up. And so there's just so many different angles to come at this of 
we really want to be making sure that we are raising young people who understand the continuum of gender. And school is a really good training grounds for that, right? Because you're going to leave school and then maybe you're going to go to university or maybe you're going to go to work, but you're going to exist in a world with people who are non-binary. And it's really important that we're showing up for them and making sure that they are respected and right and have every right that a cisgender person has. Now, one parent was I was talking to said that um, they found it tricky switching back and forth between names and pronouns because their child isn't out to everyone. So mm. it's kind of a gentle unfurling of a flower, if you like. And they have spoken to both parents and siblings and things like that, but they're still not comfortable necessarily with extended family knowing and um, some family friends, etc. And mm. so this friend of mine um, said she absolutely respects their child's decision and is mortified when she slips up. But she just said, you know, sometimes it, it gets a bit difficult to stay on track with that. Do you have any tips on how she can totally. stay on, <laughs> not slip up, I guess? Yeah. Oh, wow. What a, like, what an interesting reality to be experiencing, right? Because mm. our brains and how we use names and pronouns are so quick, right? We're not really consciously thinking about it. Our brain just holds this script of when I'm talking about this person, I say he, and I use this name, you know, and, mm. and to be able to switch back and forth can be really hard depending on the audience that is unique. And I really appreciate that question. Uh, Again, I would kind of put this back to having a conversation with the the child in question, right? Of like, I'm doing this and I'm really sorry and you know that I don't want to be doing this, but um, is there maybe something that we could do? Is there a nickname that you would feel good about that I could use? And I could just write kind of like a bridge between this of being able to, because when we're using someone's name, we don't really have to use pronouns. And so maybe there could be some type of nickname and then that can happen to the people who we aren't out to yet, you know, but we can say, oh yeah, Kiki, you know, and that's just the nickname that I'm using for, you know, for them. But in that respect, it's not totally misgendering them. It's starting to pull somebody along to the fact that we're changing names here, right? Like you're hearing me use a different name. And even if it isn't their chosen name yet, that kind of getting somewhere with that. And so being able to just use a name instead of a pronoun, there's a lot of people who don't really like pronouns and just want to use a name. So that's one possibility, right? Is is there an in-between name or is there an initial for a name that we could go by that we could use as kind of a shortcut or a replacement for that? Um, but yeah, that that I feel for that situation. I have a lot of comp compassion for that parent because even in the month, it probably took a month from when Zoomer told us his pronouns, I would slip all the time back into they, them, there, or it just kind of was my brain having to rewire itself into mm. he, him, you know? And so mm. just going from one set of pronouns to another set of pronouns that in and of, of itself is tricky and takes a little bit of time for just the wires to recross and get into place. And now I only use he, him, right? I don't slip anymore, but to, to have to do that dance of depending on where you are is it's some mental gymnastics for sure. And so I can appreciate that and maybe trying to figure out, what is it that is kind of holding this 
person back from feeling comfortable coming out, right? And how can that parent support in making that transition easier, right? Like what is so scary about it? And and could I maybe help on your behalf? Because that really happens a lot with parents helping the coming out process, right? To that outer ring of people. And so maybe kind of working on that would be, you know, a step of, is there a reason you don't want us to use your name or your pronouns with these kinds of people? And is there anything I can help with, you know, with that? Or is this just people who you just do not want to know yet? And what's maybe something that we can do that makes you feel seen, but also doesn't make you feel outed? Wow, such an interesting topic. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and and for, for wanting to dive into this topic. It's really important. I appreciate it. That's Dr. Kyle Myers. She's the author of Raising Them, Our Adventure in Gender Creative Parenting, and we'll put links to Kyle's book in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.